What are we going to do as a church? Our souls need to wake up. We need to respond to the gospel of Jesus. He said, go into the world. We don't want to deal with reality, Christian. We don't even want to deal with reality even though we've been saved from this place. I'm calling on you today in the name of Jesus to rise up to the call of God. Christ is coming back soon. If I start telling people about hell, I might just scare them off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? People stop and think about it. If hell really exists, and it does, I didn't say that Jesus did, then don't you think people need to know about it? Can't you at least give them a fighting chance? Or are you just going to sit there and let them burn? This is Chris from Don't Let Them Burn. Welcome to the program. It's good to see you guys again. And if you want to, you know, support this channel or this podcast, you can, you know, share the video, like it, and just get the word out. That's how you get the word out. And if you want to, you know, support us another way, it's always Patreon. And uh, there's other links below in this video that you can check out. And um, tonight, we're going to have a special show for you. You know, the show is all about Jesus Christ and his redemptive power. And some of you have heard my testimony already, and I'm not going to do that now. But, you know, if you want to, you go, go back in the videos and you can see my testimony. It's about the music industry and uh, how I came out of uh, almost basically diving deep into it. So tonight we're going to have Eric Barger, our special guest, and he is running the ministry called Take a Stand Ministry, and he's been doing this since 1983. And uh, yeah, I want you guys to pay attention, especially if you've got younger people that are running towards death, spiritual death, or even physical death within this whole culture that we live in. You're going to want them to listen up to this. So, hey, Eric, how you doing? Chris, I'm doing great, and I appreciate being with you. Thanks for inviting me, and just glad I met you there a couple, what, been three weeks ago or something like that, but uh, had yeah. a great time there at, at the church that you're a part of, and just glad to be with you. Yes, and I'm glad to have you on the program and for you to share your testimony, and we can probably get into some deep conversation about all of that and minutia, and uh, hey, let us know um, what, what's on your heart right now before you start the testimony well we've been i've been traveling uh about 200 days a year for 36 years so been all over the country and literally all over the planet and talking about apologetics and discernment and bible prophecy and current events spiritual warfare that's kind of the wheelhouse of the ministry and i'm uh, i'm working on a documentary almost finished with it about technology in the end times and I think it's going to be something a lot of people need. And then it's uh, obviously something that's captivated me. I've been working on it now for about 16, 17 months. And so uh, if I'm going to work on something that long, you got to know that I, I'm serious about it and I really think it's worthy. So uh, that's almost finished. But just I love what I do. Don't like to travel as much as I once did. It's not a perpetual vacation like some people might think it is. But um, uh, God has blessed and used our ministry. And I'm just so thankful that he's used us like he has. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I look forward to that documentary because um, I, I know it's on technology. So uh, I think uh, everybody should look out for that because uh, this, this whole issue of technology is something that's going to slap everyone in the face sooner or later, you know, sooner than later, I should say. So um, as, as we keep going here, um, let people know uh, how you start, start your ministry uh, and um, basically what your life was like before that well i was raised in a, in a kind of a christian home that's kind of the way i say it 
Uh, my grandparents sent me to uh, Sunday School Faithfully when I was a kid, and I heard all about the great stories in the Bible and the great heroes in the Bible. But um, I didn't know Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior, so I was like the guy who was standing in his garage just because he was standing in his garage didn't make him a Ford or a Chevrolet. I was in church every Sunday, but it didn't make me a Christian. And I didn't understand that then, but it wasn't long that I got, how I got away from it. Um, I had... Uh, some natural musical talent that I don't understand why one person gets one gift and one person gets another. But in, in my case, there's some musical talent there. And I, I started playing guitar, begged my grandmother for a guitar. And she was, she and her, my <clears throat> grandfather were raising me at that point. And I uh, lived all of my formative years with them and I'm grateful for them, thankful for them. They were uh, um, an influence on me, a good influence. But uh, the music business uh, in the um, in the mid to late 50s didn't mean the same thing that the music business means today. Uh, really, the the seamy side of the music business had not really shown its its ugly head yet. We hadn't gotten to the drug culture of the 60s. Um, we hadn't gotten to Woodstock, which this year is the what 50th anniversary of Woodstock. Can you believe that? And so oh. I was looking up to people that I would never want my kids or grandkids to look up to as, as a role model, but that's what was happening. And uh, my grandmother didn't understand, didn't know um, what was going on with them. There were only three channels on our TV when I was a kid. So, you know, it was just three that we could get in the air and there was no cable. There'd never been satellite TV or cable TV. And a lot of people can hardly imagine that, but that's the era I grew up in. It, it was a different America. It was a different, different world. And uh, music wasn't singing about, um, you know, worship the devil, shoot your mother and commit suicide. That wasn't what... <laughs> That what that wasn't what was being sung about in those days. It wasn't every song that you see a music video for that was salacious and slimy and full of sexual immorality and so on. You didn't see that. But mm -hmm. I was in that first wave of people that were affected by the Beatles and started playing my first first band. Actually, started making money playing on the weekends when I was eleven years old. old. So uh, that's awful early in life to get into that. And by the time I was sixteen or seventeen, I was playing with guys who were all twenty one and twenty two and older than me, and and uh, playing in a bar seven seven months in a row, six nights a week, Chris. <laughs> to give you an idea, uh, uh, when I was yeah. a junior in high school, that is not the way that I would envision you would want a, a, a Christian young man operating his life, but that's what I was doing. So I got way off yeah. the track and that's, that was what it looked like back then and got way into drugs. And we can go on and talk about some of that as we go along here this, this evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, 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 it's very important for, uh, to, for parents to understand the, the type of things that their children get into or, teenagers or young adults and the, the way the culture can influence uh, and take them to in the strange places. I know you, as you were familiar with. Yeah, exactly. Um, if you have the wrong role models and you don't have someone who's helping you to understand what right and wrong are and what truth is, um, it, you can very easily get way off track and, and will never come back. Uh, I'm just grateful that, that my grandparents taught me there was a God and even though our home wasn't what I would call a Christian home the way I would perceive it to be today, and I don't want to put somebody in a box, and I don't want to ever bemoan or besmirch my grandparents. They were 
they were terrific to me. I was like a son to them. Uh, my mother had a condition in her hips and she, she couldn't walk normally. She had rheumatoid arthritis in both hips. And she and my dad divorced when I was about a year old. And my grandparents just picked up the call to, to take care of me. And my mom quickly became like a, uh, you know, much older sister to me. And, and, and we were both kids to my, to my grandparents. And my grandparents would have done anything to do the right thing by me. And, and I'm grateful for that. But but just the desire of a parent or grandparent to want something good to happen to a child doesn't always make it happen. And uh, sometimes it takes more, more tough love and discipline and more of saying no than maybe I got. But um, I'm grateful for, for what the upbringing, because in the very end, when the, when the chips are down, as the world would say, and when everything was falling apart, uh, I knew there was a God because they had sent me to that Sunday school class in that little town where we lived in West Virginia, where I grew up, uh, Parkersburg, West Virginia, actually, right on the Ohio River. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember going to that Sunday school class. That the, the church building is still there. I haven't been inside it in quite a while. It was probably about 15 years ago. I actually walked in one day and looked around and talked to the secretary for a minute. That was, that's the only other time I remember being in the building since I was a kid. But but uh, I knew there was a God, and, and I knew, I knew there, was, there was more to life than what I knew at, at that point when I finally turned my heart over to him. But along the way, I, I met people who went on to win Grammy Awards and playing in bands and so on. But I, I went out and uh, moved to Seattle. My mother and I together moved to Seattle when I was 17, and, and a lot of rock groups are getting signed there, and people who are writing songs, and, and I was writing some songs, and I wanted to get them recorded. And quickly I found out that the people I was hanging out with in Seattle and the people that I was, uh, that I was uh, uh, playing in bands with, they weren't as serious as I was about really trying to do something with the music. But at the same time, I'm still looking for something else in life because I've, I've, I've gotten introduced to New Age philosophy. And if you lived in Seattle in the, in the 70s into the 80s, that was the, the hotbed or epicenter of, of the New Age movement. So I got introduced to some Eastern mysticism and I started throwing the RO sticks and reading the I Ching and following my astrology chart and all that kind of stuff and, and uh, taking all kinds of drugs way too much all the time and feeling like that I had to have that and my role models were doing it after all, so I must be able to do it too, to be <laughs> like them. And that, that's a sad thing, but that's where my life was. And uh, end up building three recording, well, two recording studios and then managing a third studio. And that studio is still in operation today. So that's just kind mm -hmm. of a view. I was living a fast lifestyle and, and um, uh, there's a lot more to it. And there's things in my testimony, Chris, as you probably can understand, I would never whisper in somebody's ear. If I felt they were a strong Christian, they could handle it. I would never whisper some of this stuff in their ear. And there's things that yeah. we can leave unsaid that it's fine, but you get the picture where I was living at that time, how I was living. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm drawing some correlations here, how, uh, you know, you can't, this is the time of the Beatles, the time of the Maharishi Mahayogi, the, all of this stuff going on, Eastern mysticism, all this stuff just flooding into our culture through whatever means. And even through the, 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 um, the talk show host at the time, Merv Griffin, and it was everywhere. And, uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is the same scenario we see today, and it's still an effect of that era, you know? So, yeah, keep going. You know, that's, you're exactly right. Um, uh, today, we have been greatly affected by all that stuff that happened in the 60s. 
Um, I'm not sure that most Americans understand, that, that even most Christians understand how monumental it was the day that the Beatles got off the plane with the Maharishi here in America. Mm -hmm. uh, that opened the yeah. floodgates. Now, look, we, we've had witchcraft here, and there was psychics and tarot cards and Ouija boards and fortune telling, and, you know, that was here already, and, you know, that kind of stuff. But when the Maharishi showed up, uh, it wasn't long, maybe maybe two decades before mm -hmm. doctors and lawyers and scientists and PhDs and Newsweek magazine said even Nobel Prize winners have begun to believe in this this supernaturalism that wasn't God. It wasn't God as we understand it as Christianity or the Judeo-Christian God. It wasn't Jehovah. But they had they yeah. were looking for spiritual experiences, but without the cost of repenting of sin. And when I teach on the New Age movement, that's one of the definitions I give of uh, what New Age philosophy is. And this was some very, very motivated, highly intelligent people, but who had bought into the mystic ideas. And I think most of them did because they, they found out that this stuff works. And just because yeah. something works doesn't make it right. And right, right. They, a lot of yeah. people at that point in time, they were in that, maybe that first or maybe second generation of people that didn't have the understanding to test things by what they know as absolute truth, the Bible. Absolutely. And, and yeah. so they started off on their own path. And now we've got their kids and even their grandkids from that generation back there who now, maybe three or four generations, they haven't used any kind of biblical thinking. And if you take a look around right now on our college campuses and what's being taught there, those professors on our college campuses today, they were mm -hmm. the kids in my era and maybe even a little bit further along, closer to us in time than my era. They're the ones who are now expressing, do your own thing, whatever feels good, do it. That, that's the stuff the hippie generation was built on. And that's why we see this this anarchist idea that's being uh, seeded to our kids uh, in really all parts of education, but especially on the college campus. We're watching, we're paying the price for it. And I don't know how much our, our country could take. And when when my generation is gone, and if things hold together, and I'm not, I'm not a, a negative person about this, but I'm looking at it realistically. But when my generation yeah. is gone, and, and then if we make it to as far as when your generation is gone, and I say if, because how long can the country last with the, with the lack of moral fiber that we're showing? That's what really concerns Absolutely. me today. It would never concern me in times past. When I was doing all that stuff, I, wouldn't, I didn't think anything about this, but I recognize now what's happening to us. And it's all this, this whole idea of we can decide what truth is on our own without any barometer, without anything that's absolute in our lives. And we see what's happening. Yeah, the, the moral relativism. <laughs> moral relativism is destroying so many people's minds and lives. Yep. Uh, you said something a minute ago about it took 20 years for it really to settle into the culture. And I watched a documentary uh, basically about a, a Russian defector. I think his name is Yergi or something like that. Anyway, uh, this was back in, the, I believe, the 80s. That he gave his testimony about what he used to do. But he said that the brainwashing that was going around in, in your time and, and after that, he said it took, it would take 20 years to reverse it. 
So that's profound to me uh, because what we're seeing right now, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. You can, it's, it's global, uh, you know, the gender swapping and all this other stuff. How long would it take? And the only, the, the, I, the only way I see it reversing faster than 20 years is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the only way, supernaturally. Uh, whether you want to call it revival or whatever, Jesus Christ is the only way. And people out there, you need to understand that the supernatural saving blood of Jesus Christ changed my life, changed Eric's life. And if you don't believe, you need to pay attention and heed to the gospel. Okay, so um, you were in this lifestyle, and um, and you, you, I think you at this time were you married or not yet? I I met my wife when I was playing in in a band that wasn't doing any traveling. We were playing in one bar. We played there eighteen months in a row, six nights a week, and that that's really where I got to be a deeper alcoholic, along with the drug use. And and mm-hmm. I was living with one girlfriend. My wife walks in. I elbowed the bass player and say, "Who's that?" And he so he introduced me, and uh, I mean, we were instantly infatuated. Uh, she was into witchcraft. I'm in the new age. I'm a, we, we now know, we, we would say I'm a drug addict, and she was a drug user. We both were in the music industry. We loved music. She wasn't a playing, she didn't play music, uh, it, but she really loved it. I mean, it was a part of her life. And we just hit it off, and we we flew to Reno and went up to Lake Tahoe and got married after we knew knew each other for three weeks. That's not the way to start a friendship and a relationship and and a friendship for life, you know, you have with a wife or husband. And so we did that and had some really deep troubles, deep problems that took place. And and, um, then the rest of the story begins to be more interesting on how God then began to deal with us, because here we met each other. We would have both claimed we were Christians, Chris, even though we didn't understand what that meant. And there's a lot of people floating around like that. But we were both both baptized in Methodist churches, and it could have been any kind of church, but it was Methodist for both of us. She was in Iowa. I was in West Virginia. We met in Seattle, where we now live again in the Seattle area. We've lived in Texas for a while during the part of the ministry. But so we were doing all this stuff, and we would have claimed to have been Christians, yet we had no idea. And um, God began to get in the middle of it along the way. And, oh, are we glad he did. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's awesome. Uh, and, and um, you know, I don't want to jump ahead of you. So <laughs> I'll try to try to refrain from jump, jumping ahead of you because um, what you when I, when I first heard your testimony, it, it so many things matched up within my life, too. Um, and uh, the part about, you know, how you and your wife got saved, her before you, and that that was really deep for me. Um, but well, I I just see that the church. I, I I think even now, I think even now, when I was growing up, now doesn't understand the culture, uh, the the entertainment industry, what it brings into people's life the spiritual nuances out there the, the, the it's it's just a lot not not being taught and even though you know i didn't get into uh those spiritual things right there but it was all around me uh there's something out there called five percenters they're basically all over in 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 hip hop a muslim sect it was all around me the influence was there I, but uh, I I knew about Jesus earlier, even though I wasn't saved through 
these periodic that I, I listened to a lot of this stuff. Um, but then my brothers came, showed me the gospel, I accepted Christ, but the culture was strong right. and uh, our church did not know how to deal with it. No, I, I think that's the case a lot that um, better, maybe better today because we have people from those generations from either right before me or mine or the next one when, where uh, people are, have come out of it. They've seen what happens um, to a family member or friend or to the culture around them and, and they're better equipped to handle it. And, and yet we still see people all the time that are not equipped to handle what the culture is, is uh, dishing out. And uh, let's face it, uh, immorality and evil itself have gotten way more brash and uh, yeah. certainly way more forward than they were when, when I was a kid and probably when you were a kid, same thing. But, you know, um, I hear you about the religious uh, influences and so on. And God was trying to get a hold of me way before I finally, mm. you know, got a hold of him, so to speak. Um, so yeah. There's a, a fellow who had written a, um, a hit song back in the late 60s. And I met him in Seattle and he wanted to do some recording. And I agreed that I would help do the, some of the recording and I would, I'd play the guitar parts on it and so on. And, uh, um, he had, he and another fellow who went on to actually be a, um, a, um, uh, state congressman here in Washington state, but they had written a Christian rock opera and mm. it was very openly Christian. And, uh, when, when we actually put on the stage play of it, and that was only put on for three days, but we recorded the album. They tried to sell the album, it never sold. But, uh, for three days we put this on and I played the part of the apostle Peter in this thing. And I had no clue who, who yeah. and what Peter was other than I knew the lines and I knew what I was to say. And I've got my guitar on my neck the whole time. So I'm kind of playing as well as, as playing the part of Peter. And so God was trying to get through to me. I was around all these Christians uh, who at that time, that particular university or it's a large college that we did this rock opera in here inside the city of uh, Seattle city limits. To, it's gone down the tubes into emergent mm. stuff today or liberalism. But mm. back then they yeah. were pretty solid. And I'm going, you know, God was trying to show me something. He was trying to get to me. Uh, I got to say this, Chris, before I, before I, I forget, you know, in all the times, all the hotel rooms and, and airports and restaurants and places I was when I was a musician and also as a, a looking for talent and I was trying to produce and looking for, for people who I thought maybe had that that intangible thing called making it, you know what I mean, in the music yeah. business, you know? You're looking yeah. for somebody who's got yeah. either that great voice that that you can't teach somebody to sing like that or maybe a great song, and I found some of those, but... But in all that time, up and down the West Coast and other places in the country, too, I never, never remember anybody ever witnessing the gospel of Jesus Christ to me. I don't remember anybody oh. saying that Jesus died for your sins or that you need to be born again. And I, I usually joke and say, look, um, nobody ever warned me I was going to go to hell. A lot of people told me to go, but they never, they never <laughs> warned me, you know, and, and that's... You think about that. Nobody ever warned me about this. And, and so to me, that's that's very telling. And, and we should never say, oh, that person's beyond God. Or, oh, look at that person. The way he looks or she looks, they could never be saved. That, that's not true, folks. And I was one of the original long hairs. Got kicked out of my huh. high school for having hair touch my ear. That's how strict it was at that point in time, way back when. Imagine that. Yeah. 
but still, the point is, uh, don't think that anybody's beyond God. And, and, you know, we don't have to go up and preach at somebody, which will probably turn them off. But by telling them what Christ has done for us, anytime we have an opportunity for a conversation to express to them what happened in your life and giving your testimony, every Christian should learn to give their testimony, whether it's in, you know, 30 minutes like we are now, or maybe even more, or 30 seconds. We ought to be able to express our, yeah. our testimony. So I, I encourage folks to do that. Absolutely. Uh, so it's a, it's a big thing because God has this commission for us and it's like a lot of us are just not activating the power that he's given us to reach people. Uh, yes, you know, there's people written in the Lamb Book of Life before the foundation of the earth, but we still need to, we are part of that entire plan that God knows from the end, you know, from the beginning, uh, you know, the end from the beginning so we are part of that. So we just can't just be less lackadaisical about it, you know. There's a part in the Bible about, you know, us getting rewards and stuff. Not that we have to run to get the biggest reward, but, you know, we're going to get rewards for different things. Yeah. And uh, I, would, I would love to be, uh, you know, what if, what if I'm the one or you're the one or anyone, anyone that's a Christian, uh, the, the one to, to save, not to save, but to preach the gospel, to the last person before the rapture happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That would be awesome. You know, so, just think if you were the person who led Billy Graham to the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Or some, somebody, some Smith Wigglesworth, or whoever you want to name, Jonathan Edwards, throughout, you know, the church age. I mean, I mean, think yeah. of that, the residual rewards, too. But that the point is, we don't want to see anybody perish, and neither does God. He wishes none would perish, but all would come to repentance and into true life. And and uh, there is so much more life in living for Jesus than anything I can ever find in this world. And man, I tried to find a lot of stuff in this world, and he's helped to restore me. Probably you too, but he he's helped to restore yeah. me a lot because I I can't imagine that I could uh, write a sentence uh, in a book, let alone write a book, and I or do a presentation. And I can't imagine. But yeah. God had, yeah. his, he had it figured out, and he knew that he would restore the things that Satan had tried to kill and take away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, there's two aspects of uh, your testimony that I'd love to touch for people out there. And I'm, I'm not sure if this is in your testimony, but I guess you could touch on it a little bit. Uh, one of the problems I see as huge in our culture nowadays, very prevalent, is uh, fatherless. Uh, fatherlessness. I'm fatherless. Uh, you know, my mom had to flee from Jamaica from my dad and raised me in, in America. And uh, that still has great impact on my life now, not having, not being grown up with a father. And also, you know, the father figures that were there, some were okay, but they weren't there for long, you know. So it's still there's still this this void. God God fills it, but it's like practical things that a man should know. You had to learn in a longer stage, you know. No, I I, I understand. Um, both you and I, by what you just said, and I didn't know that about you till just now. And, and folks were just mm -hmm. getting to know each other, but that's uh, that's part of it is learning who we are in Christ and where we came from and all those things. But. Um, I didn't know my earthly father. I knew who he was, and occasionally I would see him. He lived in the hometown where I lived. But until I had moved away and then would come back to visit my grandparents, um, 
I, I didn't get to know my dad until I was um, uh, in my 20s. I was working in the music business, and I began to seek him out. I wanted to know who he was, and we really built not not just a hello, how are you? It was really a, a father-son and a friendship and a loving relationship, and I'm grateful because that doesn't happen a lot. It really doesn't. My, my story turned out really good. That just doesn't always happen. Um, my, my dad passed away four years ago. My stepmom just about... A month ago now and uh so i'm officially the last barger and i i had girls <laughs> so the, yeah, names, okay. the name stops with me so to speak and but yeah. you know a lot of people out there a lot of people watching can relate to the idea that either they don't know who their dad was and some even don't know who their mom was and and then we have a whole culture of people like that and there again that wasn't like that a hundred years ago oh there was that stuff was still out there and that stuff happened Divorce happened, but it wasn't as prevalent as today. Today, it's a different world. You can see how the culture has declined and gone the wrong direction. And um, I think the the idea of a father is so important. And the the, the when I I can't say that that somehow it changed me to know my dad, other than I loved him, and he loved me, and he, he accepted me as a musician. And I think a lot more so as a, as a minister, and that's the two things I, you know, even those these other little things along the way that kind of coincide with those two areas. That's what I've done for yeah. my life, and I'm so grateful for that relationship. And and I got to bring this in. It comes to mind. Recently, uh, I was asked to um, go with some others to minister to a, a couple who have a grown son and a grown daughter. And uh, this grown son and grown daughter are not living for Christ and have some really, and I won't go into the details, but the details are horrendous. And one, one thing was that they were both abused by their, by their natural father. Mm. And uh, so was mother, by the way. And the daughter has already hardened her heart so badly, she's told the mom, do not mention God to me. God, the Father, is a Father that no matter how good our earthly fathers were, no matter how wonderful they were to us, no matter how solid they were as a Father, God, the Father, goes beyond. He goes beyond that. And when we, when we have betrayal in our life, such as that kind of abuse, um, mm -hmm. people people somehow say, well, how can God be good if he's a father and I've been hurt like I have by my earthly father? And to anybody in that state, I can tell you right now, God is beyond anything you can understand with love and peace and joy, but it's a matter of you saying yes to him to allow him to work in your life to see freedom and peace and healing start. Now, healing can happen in different ways, I agree. But when God gets in the middle of it, it's real, complete peace and healing that can take place. And um, it takes a while. It, it's not an instant fix. God just doesn't have a, a magic wand. And if he did, he wouldn't be the God that I serve. And he's, he's going to sometimes use situations and circumstance to, to get through to you in your heart. Because he's more interested in, in where we finish, you know, how we end yeah. up. And uh, some, a lot of people want an instant fix in the world we're in today. You know, we want it all fixed right now, all the hurt we have and all the pain and discomfort or whatever it is. And, I mean, you see that, that thinking in the culture all around us. But 
God is looking for, for how he can mold you into the person he wants you to be that you can then be used for him. And, and some of us, yeah. as sad and tragic as those things might be in our life about fatherhood and about our families that weren't what we would love them to be, well, maybe you're the person that's going to be able to speak to somebody else who's really torn up. Maybe a lot of people who are devastated because of the lack of family or fatherhood in their life because you understand it. But once you get to Jesus and once God begins to deal with you, it's an amazing thing how God will use those circumstances. Like he's used your life, Chris. He's used my life. And the testimony that Satan would want to tear us apart and rip us apart and to destroy us and to eventually, you know, prevent us from going to heaven because we just followed the wrong things. Well, God can turn that around for his good and for his glory. And, and so you want to try to look for that, that thing that what's God doing in this situation? And I think sometimes we miss that. Yes, we do. <laughs> yeah, and I, I look back at my life and, and I'm like, wow, uh, the, the change is uh, it's crazy. And looking at all the circumstances that this should have led me here or there, but God, you know, God is good. Um, and one of the reasons I brought up the fatherless issue is I'm looking at the entertainment industry and a lot of these uh, young men that are singing or rapping about sin, sin, sin are lacking fathers in their lives. Uh, a lot of people in prison. Uh, so Satan has this plan to destroy the family and it's working, you know, uh, God is still in control, but this, this, this scheme of the devil it, it's it, it's like uh, like a hydra, <laughs> like you know Marvel comics. You have these tentacles everywhere that's just destroying the family, and it's all in the transhumanism and all these weird stuff. But uh, we are being preached that by people that are angry, hurt, missing fundamental things in their lives from people that should have been there. And if you're if you're out there and you're a father. Uh, you need to, and, and, and if you're away from your kids, don't want to take care of them, all this stuff that wayward fathers do, I think the Lord just wants you guys to reach back and take care of your children. Work it out. If, if the mother is your worst enemy, work it out. Work it out. These kids need you. It's one of the biggest problems in our country and around the world. But, yeah, uh, that's why I brought that up. But um, another another thing I want to uh, address uh, from your testimony is the relationship between your wife and you and how you got saved, if you want to go into that uh, really quick. Mm. Well, that's, uh, you know, you tell this story about a life gone amok, and that's that's what I was. And, and then the way it happened, and I'm going to run through just a few of the details that, that will help people understand that it was a longer process than this, but... Um, in the midst of our troubles with each other, and we had plenty, um, we would have a fight and she'd throw me out or I'd leave or, you know, it was that kind of thing because drugs do that to you. And especially when you have two strong willed people and, um, mm -hmm. it, it didn't go very smoothly in our lives. I'm working in the recording studio. And again, that was about the stage when I was recording people who went on to win Grammy Awards, not because of my work, but they had natural, they had that talent. I say natural talent, but they had that talent. And um, it just so happens that's what happened with them. Uh, one of those bands I worked with, Queensryche, 
wasn't called Queensryche then, but same guys that went on to be Queensryche. And uh, I did, I recorded the, the tape that I understand they used to, to procure the record deal. But they're still out there today. And uh, Kenny G, famous uh, jazz musician, I worked with him before anybody knew his name nationally. And we knew, and I would hire he and some other horn players uh, to come in and play horn horn parts on songs that I felt needed it, on songs that I had uh, recorded with either songwriters or bands. And at any rate, so I was doing that. And I had what my peers called good. And I had uh, plenty of money to spend a thousand bucks a week on my cocaine addiction, which was three and a half weeks or uh, years. I'm sorry. I wish it was three and a half weeks, three and a half years of that. But um, in the process of this, my wife and I are growing apart and we're having troubles. And in, in the middle of a fight, and I will try to make this short, in the middle of a big fight one night, she throws the Seattle Yellow Pages at me, which are about that thick, and nail me in the back of the head, and we're swearing to each other like a couple of truck drivers. And I picked those Yellow Pages up, and I shook them at her, and we had tried a marriage counselor once before, but I said, though I don't remember, she remembers, I said, <laughs> but this time it's going to be a Christian counselor. And she kind of scoffed at me, you know, when I said that. I don't remember saying that, but she explicitly remembers I said that. And the next morning, yeah. I, I opened the phone book up to, to religious counselors, which in Seattle, in, in that time when New Age was so big, when, when I looked at religious counselors, it's page after page. So I just opened it up, and I put my finger down, and I called the number. And that man happened to be a real live born again Christian who believed the Bible was the only hope people had. And um, we went to him that day. And of course, it was in my mind that my wife is the one that needed the, the help. It was her problems. And really, it was, it was me as much as her, maybe more. And um, she kept going to those marriage counseling sessions. And I would do anything possible not to go, Chris. I would, I would book recording sessions at the same time so I wouldn't have to go. And, you know, I was convicted and didn't understand that's what was going on. And uh, through his work uh, and through his admonition to her, she went and bought a Bible and she started reading it. And she came to faith in Christ reading the Bible. And I thought, well, that's okay. Well, she, she says the Bible, that's all right. But I was actually at the, the counseling session, which was rare, but I was there the day that and he would always end every counseling session by saying, would either of you like to receive Christ today and be free? You know, he gave that kind of yeah. invitation. He didn't have a yeah. church to pastor at that point in time, though he had pastored previously. He was doing marriage yeah. counseling in his real estate office. Okay. Well, she said yes to Christ, and she shook her head and big tears rolled down her face. And I'm looking at her going, oh, boy. And um, he leads her through the sinner's prayer. And as soon as possible, I got her up out of that room, out to the car, and all the way home told her I wasn't going to live with the Jesus freak. Mm. And um, I left, and I believe it was about three weeks. And so I called her up at the end of that three-week period. And, you know, honey, I really miss you. Can I come home? Well, you know, it was one of those because, you know, I was tired of sleeping on the, on the floor at the recording studio. And she said, yes, Eric, please come home. I've been praying for you. And I should have understood what that meant but didn't know. And when I got there, her witchcraft books were gone. She mm. was different. And I watched over the next couple of years how God changed her. He took away the language. He took away all drug use. He took away the cigarettes. He took away all the stuff in her life and replaced it all with, with him. She started going to church and taking our girls to church, and our kids were suffering because of the way we were living and the way I was living in particular. 
And uh, after two and a half years of putting her through complete hell, finally on a Friday night, a rainy cold Friday night, February 1981, Seattle, it rains a lot, and that was one of those nights. Um, She found my car sitting outside one of my girlfriend's houses, and when Mm. I knew she had been there, I just went, that's it, it's over. Because it was like a charade. Our marriage was hanging together on a thread, probably because of the kids more than anything. And she went home and she called Ted, our marriage counselor, and they prayed a prayer Mm. that I think is a really powerful prayer. So listen carefully, everybody. That prayer was, God, whatever it takes, get Eric. Now, before you pray that for somebody, whatever it takes might be pretty rough. Mm. I went through the next three days without sleep on a binge, on a cocaine binge. I started drinking on the Sunday afternoon. I don't remember all these events. She's helped me place this together and put the chronology together. You, know, you understand, Chris? It was just like yeah, clear yeah. to me. So, so um, I got to our house on late on Sunday night, and thankfully the kids weren't there, and they were at Grandma's house, and and um, I, I began to just tell her all the stuff I was, what she'd done to me, and this and that, and I was blaming her for everything. And I hadn't slept in three days, and so I just kind of sat down in the middle of the floor at some point and passed out. I don't remember it. I came to, three in the morning, she's sitting on the couch. There's a book next to her. It's not the Bible. She had bought a book, Keep Her Mind Off Me, after church earlier that day on Sunday. It's now early Monday morning. And she'd read the whole thing. And uh, it, was a, it wasn't a book about peace, and she'd gone looking for a book about peace, and yet it wasn't a book about peace. It was, it was a book called Racing Toward Judgment by David Wilkerson. Not a book about peace. God has a sense of humor in the process of this, too, you know. Yeah. And, and so I picked that book up. I don't remember, but she says, this is what I did. I picked the book up, and I didn't look at the front cover, the back cover, or figure out who David Wilkerson was or what it was. I just opened the book in my nervousness because I... My mission that night was to go there to tell her I'm leaving you. Now, we'd, we'd said mm. that to each other in fights before, but neither yeah. of us ever carried it through. I, I just thought, it's over. It's a charade. Let's stop. And I opened it up to page 60, just opened the book up and looked down, and she had underlined things in a black ballpoint pen a few hours before she'd put lines under words. There were three words in the middle of the page. Immediately, my eye went to it because she'd underlined it. It said, God hates divorce. Yeah. And she said at that point in time, she was watching me. She didn't know exactly what happened, but I had the book like this in my chest crumpled up and I just fell off the couch onto the floor and began to cry. And I broke. Mm. I'd been sorry that I got caught before, but this time I was really sorry. There was a, a sorrow for what I had done to my life, to her, to the kids. And um, as I was sitting there on the floor, I began to ask her to forgive me. And it was different than any time before. And she said, at some point, I started saying, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And I, I don't remember. But I believe right there in the midst of that haze of 14 years of drug addiction and this, uh, the, the, the cocaine use that I was in, it takes a toll on you in a way that, well, there are drugs today that would take a worse toll. I will say that. But then that was a big deal at that point in time, yeah. 1981. And uh, I said, God, forgive me. And I believe with all of my heart, I know this doesn't match up to the Americanized sinner's prayer that we'd love to lead people in any time. But I yeah. believe my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life right on the spot. 
And the next morning when we went to the marriage counselor, I called him and of course they prayed that prayer on Friday night. He didn't know what was going on, but I, I, uh, I told him that I was home with Melanie and I need to come see him. And we went to see him and she had to drive cause I was shaking so much from the OD on, I mean, I was overdosed that weekend on, on Coke yeah. and alcohol. <clears throat> so we go to see him. And by the time I left his office, after he'd prayed for me, I went out to the car and we sat there and just cried and hugged each other in the car across the street from his office. And at some point I realized <laughs> I wasn't shaking anymore. Yeah. And the shaking never came back and mm. the drugs never came back. And I can tell you, if you wonder if God's still in the deliverance business, I'm a product of it. I know a lot of people, it's yeah. hard to imagine. You think, well, there's good counseling sessions or centers out there and there's good treatment centers, but I didn't have to do that. And it was just yeah. the way God did it with me. He uses counseling centers and treatment centers. He, he can use that, but this is yeah. what he did for me. And within a couple of years, he began to very strongly call us into ministry. I left my job in the recording studio and God had really dried up uh, anything I could make money with any other way. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how I'd do it because the only thing I knew about was music. I, I didn't get a degree. And so because I didn't wasn't trained in anything, it was all I knew and it's all I ever thought I would know. And then God began to call us and woo us into ministry. And here we've been 36 years and he's met every need along the way. And we're, we're not rich and don't, that's not about that anyway, but he's taken care of every single need along the way and he's used what we've done and to me that's way more important than anything else that that could have happened yeah yeah uh and you know that right there uh should speak to a lot of people uh because you know god knows everything right and we don't <laughs> that's just <laughs> and as soon as we realize that we're a lot better off <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so a lot of you out there are dealing with relationships. Uh, some of you are married, some of you are not. Some of you are living together when you shouldn't be. Um, but here's a case where there's two married people. One got saved first, and they prayed and prayed and prayed, and God answered. So don't give up on your spouse that's wayward uh, or, you know, they're unsaved, and it just seems like there won't be an end to it. <laughs> Uh, just keep praying. God answers the the prayers. Um, what they say is three answers to prayer: yes, no, and wait. <laughs> some of us need to learn how to wait. And in, and and you know, truthfully, in some uh, some of these situations, it doesn't work out. But even in that, God has a plan. So he's you know, all things, all things work for the good of those who love Him. Um, so don't despair. And we all, all of us need to learn how to trust God more. And I've learned that in so many different ways, uh, so many different, even recently. So um, that's, I just wanted to speak into the hearts of people out there that have these relationships and they don't know where to go. Uh, and I'm talking about marriage here. Okay. Cause divorce rate is through the roof. Sure is. Yeah. You're <laughs> and, right. Um, yeah, especially in the church. So, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, you're right on, though. The divorce rate is through the roof. And and like you said, it's in the church. Uh, I think we've forgotten that um, our momentary happiness or peace or whatever we are looking for in marriage, 
that's not the whole time. I mean, that's not the whole deal. And uh, recently, my wife and I were in a discussion, and I, I said this to her, and it, it was just the right moment to say it. You know, this is till death do you part. And we weren't talking about divorce, mm. but that's the, the key. Is It is. Yeah. And, you know, I know somebody out there has gone through divorce. I don't want to beat people up. And, and I, don't want, I don't want anybody to think that by watching this, well, that's really fine for you, Eric, and that's wonderful and it's thrilling, but um, God didn't save my marriage. Why did he save yours and not mine? I can't answer that. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. Why did he not use the treatment center with me? Why did he decide to use that marriage counselor to simply pray a simple prayer over me? It wasn't anything, I mean, I didn't, I didn't fall on the floor and writhe around like a snake and have speak in another voice, and it wasn't demon possession. I could have had them, but if they were there, they left quickly and quietly. I don't know mm -hmm. why God uses particular things and events and so on the way he does. And, and it does in marriage, you know, it's, it's different than anything else, as you know, Chris. It's, um, it takes two to tango. And sometimes mm -hmm. we're one of us is totally willing and the other person isn't, and God gives us free will. And all I can say is that's, that's the way it works. I can't answer why God doesn't do particular things. All I can say is he is still God no matter what failure happens on earth because of the hands of men. Yeah, you know, you know, uh, the Bible has good instances where, like, say, for a prophet, right, in the Old Testament, chose a prophet to do a certain work, and some people be like, "Why didn't you choose me? Why, why, why can't, why can't I hear from the Lord?" <laughs> you know, it, you know, in those days. So, what God says, you know, your thoughts aren't my thoughts, my ways aren't your ways. Right. We can't understand how he works sometimes you wonder why oh that person over there you're saving him <laughs> a pedophile he's a murderer but we we have this scale of sin and 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 some of that should be there but you're a liar or you did something else against god and that's all all a part of the sin nature so we can't be apple and orange with the sin stuff no, you're <laughs> you know right. god <laughs> yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You, I don't want to break in. You're exactly right. I just amending yeah. you. Go ahead, man. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jesus uh, died for the entirety of mankind. So um, we have to put everything into perspective, um, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, the nation of Israel and, and the world, the, the, the unsaved world in this coming time that we're seeing draw so, so close um, and none of us know when the hammer's going to drop or when the rapture's going to happen. But I tell you what, this world, and you're you watching that's that the ones that are not saved, you're a part of this 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 coming time. If you're if you're still alive, don't wait. Yeah. Or say, oh, I'll wait for the rapture, or I'll wait till I'm 88. Or yeah. no, the time is now. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. No, oh, you're right. I again, don't want to break in. You're hitting the nail on the head. Uh, a lot of people say, oh, I'll just put it off till later. Well, you know, you don't know that the Holy Spirit is going to be drawing you later. You don't know when your last, last breath is going to be. And aren't we glad? That'd be a horrible thing to think you knew when the time would be. Psychics want to tell you that kind of stuff. Only God knows. Uh, when your life will come to an end, just like only he knew the exact millisecond you would be born. Uh, he knows the future from the beginning, and he understands that. But a lot of people put him off, and I wonder how many people are lining the halls of hell because of putting God off thinking they were in charge instead of God, Chris. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the other day I, I was reflecting on, you know, my life, the people I knew, betrayal, friends, ex-friends, all this stuff. And I started counting on my hands how many people died. And I'm not God, but I have a stinking suspicion that these people weren't saved. Yeah. And most of them I know heard the gospel. And it's just sad when, when you see this happen. And um, they died young, 20-something, 30-something. I'm in my 40s. These people didn't cross that threshold. And um, we live in a world that's even now more than, well, it's somewhat now more than ever. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Somewhat now more than ever is so because of the, the, the rise in tech and industry, what I mean by that is, let me, let me try to clarify. When we have the invention of cars, guess what? People didn't die by car accidents, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, until then. Uh, and so w- before planes were invented, people didn't die in plane crashes. What I'm saying is as we move forward, there's a whole dynamic and a mechanism of how we die, whether it's through a man-made disease uh, or, or, or uh, you know, war, technology, the scope of death is getting broader. Yeah. And I'm not trying to be grim about it. Life is life, but death is a reality. And well, you're going right. to live. <laughs> yeah, the death rate is still one per person, Walter Martin used to say. Uh, I'll exclude the rapture from those who go in the rapture. But other than that, all the people who have ever lived, one thing is for certain, they're all going to die. And uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's a part of life. It is the swan song, the last thing. Uh, it, it's not the end, though. And as you, right. as you well know, how many people think, oh, when I die, I die, because they believe the atheist idea that, you know, there is no God and there is no afterlife. Well, you know, Jesus uh, knew that people in his day, the Sadducees and, and Pharisees, they saw things differently when it comes to the end of life stuff. But the, the, yeah. the point is, the Bible clearly speaks to us. And if we believe it's God's word, then God has told us his word. He has protected his word. He's given us just exactly what he wanted in 66 different books in the Bible. And he's shown us that life goes on. So the life I live in this body, this body might decay. If I die before the rapture, this body's going to decay. But I'm going to live forever. The point is, where am I going to live and that's, mm-hmm. and I've got people in my life, by the way, too, that uh, as you're describing, uh, guys I played in bands with, uh, people that I knew in the music industry and people that I knew in those days uh, that I was personally acquainted with who, who died. One, uh, so high one night, he drove under a train. So, I mean, awful, awful death, but then death yeah. is death. And if you don't know Jesus, what happens then for ever and ever is is a horrible awful thing that most people don't want to hear about but they need also to hear that as well as the wonderful love of of christ at the same time so we've all had people in our lives that have passed away and you know that's why the urgency i feel about evangelism and i think i mentioned this to you when you and i met and sat together Mm -hmm. uh sunday afternoon there a few weeks ago uh this whole thing about technology that I'm working on with this documentary, 
has made me really feel urgent about evangelism. And uh, this is mm. not the time to lay back and wait for somebody else to do the work. If your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, you are called to spread the gospel uh, and to go out and to share the gospel wherever you are in your daily life. And hopefully in a way that it's it's going to be received by those that you're trying to give it to. But it, it's shown me mm. this is the time. This is not time to wait. This is the day, this is the hour. And I'm glad you brought that up because as I'm attending Bible college, I'm, I'm getting good wisdom and insight. When, when, when a lot of people talk about Bible prophecy, they give the gloom and doom, which is a part of it. Um, but there's hope, <laughs> you know, and you could use Bible prophecy in the right context to open up conversations to people, deal, stuff dealing with tech, because it's all around them. Absolutely. You can't escape tech. So you can use that as a springboard to a conversation. You ease in, and all of a sudden, guess what? You're talking about God, because guess what? Technology is not new. God created everything, and we're just using the thing that he created to so-called create other things, invent, you know? So technology is not new to God. And so you can use that to preach the gospel. Oh. You can use the concept and even the, even the dire things that are coming through drones, artificial intelligence, and you name it, and you name it, and you name it. You can use all that stuff to tell, because most people don't, I'm not, they're not, it's not in their field of vision at all, at all. Because when I, when I start to talk to people about this stuff, they're like, huh, what? That's crazy. That's sick. That's weird. Oh my goodness. It wakes them up. Go ahead. No, it's that's right. I mean, I, I think prophecy is a wonderful springboard to evangelism. And uh, if we can express to people what the scripture says and how past prophecies and past fulfillments have been so spot on, well, we have to agree that God hasn't changed. And yes, the future fulfillments are going to take place just as God's mm -hmm. said. He hasn't changed his mind, in other words. I think it's a, a terrific tool, especially when you bring in the current events like you were just talking about with uh, with technology. It's it is a great tool. And you know what? I, I don't want to I don't want to frighten people unduly, but we ought to be frightened about going to hell. We ought to be frightened about yes. losing our life for all eternity. We don't know when our heart beats the last time. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. In other words, don't wait, don't put him off, just as you were just saying a minute ago. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, what I'm learning is the key is to learn the whole counsel of God. That includes prophecy. And yeah. so many churches are not teaching this. And um, if, if you are out there and you're not saved and you're wondering, who is this God? Is he real? Is the Bible real? It, it's all confirmed in, through historical records. But, you know, reach out to him. Because are, are, you, are you trying to escape, uh, escape a darkness or, or a hell? Or do you really want to have this relationship with the creator of the universe. That's, that's bigger. You, you, there's, no, there's nothing, no grander thing out there, you know? And people like us um, that are really trying to follow God, trying to be holy as he commands us to be, 
we see a work in our lives that we can't comprehend. We can't, you know, I could tell you a thousand stories, but until you really, if, until your heart moves towards God, you, you're not really going to get it. And, you know, you might think it's fanciful. And some people, what they do is they'll troll you on your faith, you know? Oh, so uh, what did God do with you financially or whatever? But they're just trying to, they're not really trying to learn the truth. They're just trying to troll you. But if you're really seeking God, really seeking him, you, you don't necessarily have to be in a, pope, uh, in, a, in a church service to get saved. That's right. <laughs> so we, we're just trying to hammer this point out to you that, you know, through each of our testimonies, God is real. He, and again, you would have to hear my testimony. I'm talking about demonic oppression and all. So, um, Eric, what, what is the last thing that you want to speak to the audience about um, that you think you really think what's on your heart right now that you think they need to hear, um, I guess, to, you know, run alongside the gospel? I only wish I'd have gotten saved, become a Christian earlier in life. And uh, I wasted a lot of time, a lot of years. And if I would have died any time during that time, I, I obviously I wouldn't know Christ. I wouldn't be here with me. No kidding. I wouldn't be here if I had died. But the point is I wouldn't be in heaven. That's the big deal. And mm -hmm. um, I wasted a lot of time and it's frightful. Once you become a Christian, you realize where you were heading you you begin to realize what would have happened. The worst thing you can imagine on earth, war, um, a terrible accident. I mean, just imagine. The worst thing on earth, hell's worse. The best thing on earth, heaven's so much better. <clears throat> but this is where the decision is made whether we're going to follow Christ or not. And so I would tell you, that we need to do more than just know about Christ. You need to explore who he is, just as Chris was saying. Why do I think he's God, and why do I think that he's the Savior, and why do I think he's the only way as opposed to any other religions? Well, he rose from the dead. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw him alive after he was nailed to a cross and taken down and put in a tomb for three days. There are all kinds of theories that people have about the resurrection to try to disprove it, to make themselves feel better about not knowing God. But the truth is, Jesus rose from the grave and he's coming again. And when you stand before God someday, and we all will, the Bible says, and we'll give an account of what we did, whether good or bad, when that happens, if you don't know Jesus, when that event takes place in your life, and it will take place for every one of us, there is no way out. And it's not because God's an evil God or cruel God or a mean God. It's because God's a God of justice as much as he is also a God of love. So my the best thing I could ever tell anybody when I'm ending a conversation with them is, this is the day. Come to Christ. Don't wait like I did. Don't put him off. Uh, I'm one of the very fortunate, fortunate ones that, that I know him and I'm serving him. And I guarantee you, Chris would say the same thing to you. I can fail you. He can fail you. We can fail you. Christians are not perfect. They're forgiven. We're still humans living in human flesh. And it's sometimes very hard to live the things of, of God. And as the Bible says, but 
what we're trying to do is do do our best to do what he's given us to do. And that's all we can try to do. And with his power and strength, we are going to get through this earth or this life. And we're going to get through forgiven. And that's the big deal. That forgiveness is ours because of what Jesus did for us. Amen. Amen. Hey, and, and that's our show for tonight. And uh, thank you, Eric, for joining us. And uh, thanks for the message. And thank you all for watching. And uh, just remember, if you're a Christian to uh, preach the gospel, don't be afraid. If you're if you're if you are afraid, build your faith. Get some get into the Bible and trust me that fear will go away. Uh, and ask God for wisdom, growth, understanding and all that. And if you're not saved, you just heard the gospel message. Heed to the call today. Don't let them burn. I want you to think of a time when you had control over your mind. Now think of a time when you let anything into your subconscious. Have we been led to a critical junction by unseen forces? What does this mean for the future of mankind? What have you been trained to believe about UFOs and aliens? Have you been deceived? Are you waiting for something to show up? In this groundbreaking documentary film, the veil will be lifted, your eyes will be open, as the truth is exposed like never before. We are not alone, but they are not what you think. Disclosure is near, so what will be the event? The one event that will fool a global population in the last days? Find out soon as we uncover the alien deception. Entertainment Frontlines. If you like our videos, don't forget to hit the subscribe button and the notification bell to get all our frequent updates.